We, we didn't come to LPC on Christmas Eve to hear uh, a sermon about fear. Now, now, if you ask great uncle Google about Christmas fear, you, you will realize that Christmas time can be very, very scary for some. And, and I haven't made these up. And uh, as we have some Greek brothers with us in, in, in the congregation, I'm very nervous about pronouncing some of these. I think the origin comes from you, gentlemen. Uh, but we have a fear of flashing lights, which has got its name of its own, salophobia. Uh, the fear of, being, of kissing beneath the mistletree, mistletoe, yes? Uh, another phobia, cisneophobia. And then the fear of relatives. There's people who are petrified at Christmas time because the rest of the year they manage to stay away from the relatives and then Christmas time means they have to be together. And one of my favorites is this next one, is the fear of turkeys. And this can be the fear of turkeys dead or alive. And then there's some... Phobia, which I think no African or English person has, but obviously someone does have, and that's the, the social anxiety of someone who gets gifts. I don't know if that's you. Fear of gifts at Christmas time. What, what, a, what a place to be. And then there's people who fear church. I'm not sure if they're here today, but people do fear church. They fear church. And, and the, the last one is the, the, the one that wraps it all together and... Uh, Yeah, Ninos will pronounce that for you later. <laughs> but it's, it's the fear of Christmas itself. And so there are all these fears going on at Christmas time, but that's not what I am talking about. We, we, we sing about joy. We wish people a Merry Christmas. We talk about Christmas cheer. But in the Christmas story itself, Right in the, in the center of the Christmas story in many ways, there are three real references to fear. There's Mary's fear. There is Joseph's fear. And there is the shepherd's fear. And so this, this morning I want to quickly go over those different situations and, and see what we can learn from the Christmas story about fear. And particularly in the light of Mary's, Joseph's, and the shepherds. And then the three readings that we had are the readings that tell of these stories. And so I'm going to take them as they happened. And, and the first one is Mary's fear in Luke 1. At this stage, Mary's not being told what's going to happen. But just the angel turning up. And the greeting of the angel was enough to make her afraid. I think if we're honest, it would be enough to make any of us afraid, wouldn't it? None of us, or none of you that I know, have had an angel pitch up and speak to you. And I think if you did have, you'd be like Mary, you'd be afraid. And she was afraid. But the angel said to Mary, very early on in this interaction, as she's there in her fear, he says to her, do not be afraid. And that's a common theme we have with all of these. All these people who have fear, the angel very quickly says to them, and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The angel doesn't immediately tell Mary that she's going to become pregnant. 
He says, do not be afraid. And says, Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Sometimes God prepares us for what is ahead. And then here she was about to hear life-changing news. And and the angel says, don't be afraid, as he stands there in, in glory. And he says, Mary, you have found favor with God. And with that ringing in her ears, the angel then says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. She's going to become pregnant. Now, I am guessing that Mary would not have thought herself as being favored when she realized that she was going to get pregnant. Yeah? Did you get what I'm saying here? You see, the news for Mary that she was going to become pregnant must have been a a huge shock to her. And if she's not afraid of the angel talking to her, she she would have been afraid about what she heard. She was a virgin. She, She hadn't slept with a man. She was pure. She was betrothed to be married, but she wasn't married. And she was living in a a judgmental, unforgiving culture. And she, as the woman, would have got the blame for this situation. And she would have feared rejection from her family, from Joseph, and there was no social services to to help. And it would have been extremely difficult. And, And I can imagine her thinking, how on the earth am I favored of God? I think... What in her mind favor would be, I get married to Joseph, we settle down, we have a family, and we have a quiet life. That, I imagine, would have been her idea of being favored. It might not be your idea of being favored. What your idea of being favored might be is come to Cyprus, get a degree, go overseas, get a master somewhere else, get a good job in Europe or the US, make lots of money, go back home and have a nice quiet life. You've got your own ideas of what being favored is, and I'm sure she had her own idea of what favored was, and it certainly wasn't for her to get pregnant out of marriage. And sometimes God comes in and upsets our plans. And when he does, we are tempted. We are tempted to think that we are not in his favor. We have our plan mapped out. We have our destiny clearly worked out. We have the steps there. And then something happens. The phone rings. And there's been a bereavement and a sponsor's died. And you can't stay on the island anymore. The doctor looks you in the eye and you know it's bad news. And your whole days ahead are changed. Maybe you thought you weren't going to get a visa and then you were going to get a visa and then you got the visa and all these things change. And in the moment, the comfort of our world is turned upside down. And we can be tempted in those moments to think we are not favored. We're not favored. But you see, the angel doesn't just leave her there in her confusion and her fear. The the angel then, as he's brought this news to her, which is shocking, as he's brought this news to her that is mind-blowing, as as he's dropped that bombshell upon her, as as it were, as she sees her whole life ahead of her changing, and she doesn't know how it's going to work out, 
the angel points her to Jesus and says, you shall call his name Jesus. Now for us in our cultural setting, and particularly from our UK cultural setting, it's not immediately obvious to know what's going on here. But in the first century culture, names were really important. And, and, and Jesus means Joshua, and Joshua means Savior. Uh, and, and she's been told this child is no ordinary child. This child that she is going to, to bear is going to be something special. And the angel quickly goes on and spells out the magnitude of who Jesus is. In verse 32, he says, he will be great and call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign on the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus was clearly going to be someone special. Someone amazing. He will be great. Okay, what does that mean? He'll be great because he'll be the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. And, and, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And all these things must have been in her head. And as we see it and unpack it, the, the wonder of what's happening here is God himself is coming to the world incarnate as a man, Jesus. And he has been born into the world through Mary's womb. And Mary is highly favored. And although on the one hand she feels her, her life is shattered, on the other hand, as she looks to Jesus and sees what is going on, this is the promised Messiah. And it didn't take her questions away. She still had questions. She still wanted to know how this was going to happen. She still was wondering what was going on. And she's told that there will be a miracle that will bring this about through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But you see, what's interesting here is God didn't take away the problem. We often, when we get into a situation where our world is shattered, our solution is God, take away the problem. God, take it away. Bring my plan back. I don't like this plan. I don't like this direction. I don't like what's happening. Let me have it back. Let me have my health back. Let me be able to go back and unwind what I did and, and, and make it right. I don't want that. I, I don't like this, this, this painful situation. I want this loved one back with me. This is not what it's meant to be. But God doesn't do this. What he does through the power of the Holy Spirit is enable this to happen. And in many ways, the pregnancy and the birth were the simple part of Mary's life. Can you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, at Calvary, seeing her son hanging on the cross? The son that she'd nursed? The son that she'd fed? The son that she cared for there hanging on the cross, paying the price of the sins of his people. She was highly favored, but that didn't mean that God was magically going to make everything work out perfectly for her. That's not what the gospel is about. But she was highly favored and had that privileged position. She was favored by God. She was pointed to Christ and she was enabled by the Holy Spirit 
And for those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ for yourselves, that is exactly the same for you in your situation. You may not feel it, but you are favored by God because God has loved you with an eternal love. And in the situations where you feel that things are going wrong, you need to look at Christ. Because Christ is a demonstration of God's love to you. He loved you so much, he sent his only son. This son came into the world, was born of a virgin, lived that perfect life, and died a horrendous death so that you can have your sins forgiven. And friends, you can carry on in your situation no matter how bad it is because the Holy Spirit will help you. And if you're not a believer now, Friend, I just am frightened for you. I honestly don't know how you get up. When you look in the mirror and you think of the day ahead of you, and you have no favor from God in that sense, and you don't know the love of God, and you don't know Christ, and you don't know the help of the Holy Spirit, and you say, well, I'm doing it my way. Well, that's good for you, but where's your way going to take you? If you don't know Jesus, come to him now. And then we see Joseph's fear. We see Joseph's fear in Matthew chapter 1. Mary's told first about this situation. And it would seem from the narrative, we don't know exactly, but it seems the narrative that Joseph knows about this. He knows that his betrothed is pregnant. And it would seem that he's been told that she's been, uh, become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But he feels that his part should be no more. He's righteous and he doesn't want a scandal. And so he's just quietly going to divorce her and, and, and hope this is going to not cause too much. He was afraid to take her to be his wife. And as he was trying to resolve the problem himself, yes, as we often do, as he was fearful and as fear was making him make these decisions, there was a dream. The angel of the Lord says to him in Matthew 1, 20, the second part of it, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It may well be at that time what Mary had told him was confirmed. We don't know the backstory, but you could imagine Mary saying to Joseph, I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirit. Gentlemen, I'd imagine that if you heard that of your betrothed, you might be a bit cynical. You'd certainly find it hard to swallow. But he was a righteous man. He didn't want to put it to shame. He wasn't going to cause a scandal. He was doing something good from that perspective. But as the angel spoke to him, can you imagine the weight that came off his shoulders? When he realized this was the truth of the matter, she hadn't been unfaithful to him. She, she hadn't done anything wrong. This was God working in some remarkable way. There had been a miracle. You see, when God tells us not to fear, he knows everything, doesn't he? Joseph, in his own mind to try and work the situation, did it from his limited understanding. And when we try and work things out in our fear, we do it from our limited understanding. And yet our Heavenly Father looks on and He knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. And He confirms what is going on to Him. 
And then he carries on and says, and he will bear a son. He didn't have Mary sit down and say she's going to sit on the scissors or the salt or whatever it is that people do to work out whether it's a male or female. He didn't look at Mary and say, oh, she's got that sort of bump. That means it's definitely going to be. God knew. God knew and just said it's going to be a son. And this son was going to be someone special because he says, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the angel appointed to Joseph had a further message to say. And there's more truth that comes out. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God has a plan in this. God is in control of this. Joseph is part of it, but he is not the plan. Jesus is coming to be the Savior. And he's going to save people from their sins. You see, in those days when people heard about the Messiah, they thought the Messiah was coming to, to protect them from the Romans. They thought the Messiah was coming to, to kick the Romans out and, and establish their kingdom again. And that was the big idea. But this child that was coming, this baby that was going to be born, this child that was coming into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, this child that was going to be the Son of God, totally God and totally man, together at that same time, this child was coming to save his people from their sins. And friends, we, we, we sometimes try and treat God like our own personal fixer, don't we? We get in a problem. We see the situation and we have the solution. And then we tell God how to solve our problems. We have a problem. You have problems now, don't you? You have challenges now. And maybe you feel that if you say in Jesus' name enough times, that problem will be sorted out. Now, now for sure, we're told to bring our anxieties and our cares to the Lord. But this is not the big point. Jesus came to this world not to be our personal fairy godmother. Jesus came to this world not to be our personal fixer and our PA to put everything right and make us have our best life now. Jesus came into this world to save his people from their sins. And friends, each and every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And each and every one of us needs this Jesus. And each and every one of us can have this Jesus. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you repent of your sin and ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness, yeah? You might be thinking, I am too bad. No, it's all unrighteousness. Not a little bit. Not make yourself part good. Nothing. It's all unrighteousness that Christ came to die on the cross to save his people from their sins. We all need Jesus. And as God worked through the angel in Joseph's life, and if Joseph was told not to fear, and as Joseph is seeing a glimpse of God's plan, when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph, from his fear, 
stepped out in faith. And he could step out in faith because he'd been pointed to Jesus. And he'd seen and experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in his wife-to-be. And he could go forward in faith. And friends, we, we we're called to do the same. We're to step out in obedience. Obedience to the call of salvation, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will want to continue to step out in faith and be obedient to do what God would have us to do. Not that that saves us, but that shows that we've been saved. Our life has been changed. And and sometimes fear stops us from moving on. Sometimes fear stops us from being obedient to what God is telling us to do. And friends, what we desperately need to do is see Jesus again. And see God as a God who holds us in favor and not a pernicious God who's causing us problems, but a God who knows the best for us and a God who has a plan for us and a God who has left us with the Holy Spirit, a comforter and a helper, so we can continue. And then we come to the shepherd's fear that we read of in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds were working, minding their own business, looking after their sheep. And their night was turned upside down. It's... It's an amazing thought. Those of you that have been up to our house or up in the mountains there, you'll, you'll see a little village called Arada. And it's just sort of perch on the side of the mountain. And I used to think that's what Bethlehem was like. Yeah? You sort of see it there on the mountainside and there was shepherds and sheep and, and, and people there. And I had in my mind that that's what Bethlehem was like until I went to Bethlehem and found out that it was a city. It wasn't Jesus was born. And when Jesus was born, there was this center village that probably would have been a bit like Aradar there with villages, a few sheds, houses. And, and, and these shepherds were out in the fields working. And, and there was no expectation. They, they didn't go to work that night thinking, something's going to happen tonight, Yeah. They had no notion of this. And I think we need to get that in our minds because we so often come to this. We come to it from, with the knowledge from the carols. We come to it from growing up as children here in this story. And we're waiting for the angels to come. Yeah, They weren't waiting for the angel to come. It was absolutely petrifying for them. There they were, and suddenly the angel of the Lord was there in the glory of the Lord. And he was these, these shepherds, and these shepherds were hardy people, yeah? These shepherds would fight and wrestle beasts, animals, yeah? These shepherds would look after their own sheep and, and fight away violent robbers. And, and yet these shepherds, when the glory of the God appears, they are petrified. And friends, this is something we need to be aware of. Because if you think the glory of God is some fun activity that should make you giggle and shout and dance, 
You've not seen the glory of God as described in the Bible. Because when you come into the presence of the glory of God as the shepherds did, and there's a long list of people in God's word who have come into the glory of God, they have not been thrown into some sort of hysteria. They've been struck by the awesome fear of the might of God. God's glory is a fearful thing because it speaks of his awesome power. King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of the heavens and the earth. This is something of his glory. Total purity, something we cannot understand. Holiness, that he is. Justice, that he is. And as a sinful human being, we cannot stand in front of his glory. And even a representation of his glory manifest by an angel was too much for these shepherds who were hardened people who could stand up to things. And there they were, and they were fearful. Another thing that is interesting about this In in that day and age, the shepherd was not highly respected. You wouldn't be hoping for your children to become shepherds. You'd probably be telling your children, don't be like those shepherds, yeah? If you don't go to school, you'll end up like a shepherd, yeah? Or the shepherds are coming into town, we must lock up and make sure things are kept safe. They were seen as the thieves. They were seen as not being nice people to be around. Their own work demanded them to be intimate and to wrestle with sheep. And if you know anything about what sheep smell like, the smell passes on. And if you know anything about being in Palestine and not being around water, these guys wouldn't have had the best hygiene. You may have smelt them before they came. And they were being ostracized. They were, they, they were, they were shunned. And yet God chooses to send his angel and show something of his glory to those people. If you're a Yahoo boy today, I'm going to offend you. And I don't care. You're like those shepherds. Yes. In society, the Yahoo boy is the cheat. In society, the Yahoo boy is something to be shunned. It's not something to be aspired to. And it was like this angel was coming down to the Yahoo boys. Can you imagine that? What sort of plan has God got going on here? Why why didn't he come to the the, the kings and the princes? Why didn't he go to the accountants and the lawyers and the scribes? He comes to the Yahoo boys and blows them away with his glory. And the angel speaks to them in verse 10. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The angel who could have consumed them brings them glad tidings. The glory of God that should have burnt them up brings them Good news. They're told to fear not. The very people that should be fearing the glory of God were told, do not fear. Why? I bring you good news. Good news of great joy. Good news for all people. 
And then the angel points them to Jesus. For unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They need not fear because a Savior is born. The Messiah has come. Christ the Lord has come into the world. And then these shepherds, these lowest of the low, these, the, the, these people who are not looked up to in society were given this great news and they were given a sign. They were told that there was going to be a baby in a manger. Now, a baby in Bethlehem is possibly quite normal, yes? Babies come around quite regularly. But babies in mangers, that's a bit different. And they were given this information to go and find this baby in a manger. And this baby in a manger was there. And then before they can think of what they're doing, a multitude of angels come. Can you imagine Bethlehem that night? I don't know if anyone else saw this. But these, these shepherds were just blown away by it. And, and, and rather than saying, well, let's finish off the Sudoku, or let's carry on with uh, our debate about whether Arsenal are going to beat Chelsea, they got off their bottoms and they ran and they went to find out what was going on. And then they knew what was going to be going on because when they got there, they found it as it was. There was this baby in a manger. And there was Mary and Joseph. And, and they go in faith and they see everything just as they're told. And they return as changed men. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. And all they'd heard, it had been as they had been told. See, as they came back, in some ways nothing had changed. They came back to their job. They came back to the hill. They came back to their sheep. They came back to the situation that they were in, but everything had changed. Their whole world had been turned upside down. They'd seen Christ in his infancy there. And they'd realized through the words of the, the angels that a Savior had been born. And maybe they shared notes with Joseph, and Joseph said, yes, we've called his name Jesus. Oh, that's an interesting name. Why is that? Because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know categorically from God's word, but I believe those men were changed. They were trusting in Jesus. They returned to their work and they were rejoicing and they were glorifying and they were praising God and they were full of good cheer. From fear to good cheer. From being nobodies to being children of God. Isn't it amazing what happens? And it all could happen because Jesus came into this world. But as we bring this together, we've seen Mary's fear. We've seen Joseph's fear. We've seen the fear of the shepherds. And there's been a common experience. What they all needed to see was Christ. And that's exactly who the angel showed them and pointed them to. So I want to ask us now the question, I want to ask you the question, what is, what are your hopes and fears? We sang that, that carol earlier, 
And the carol gives commentary on what happened to Mary and Joseph and the shepherd those 2,000 years ago. And then the, the second part of the, the verse reads, Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and the fears of Mary were met in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hopes and the fears of Joseph were met by the Lord Jesus Christ. The hopes and the fears of the shepherd were met by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so friends, as you come into this Christmas period, as we are here on Christmas Eve, waiting for Christmas Day tomorrow, what are your hopes and fears for this Christmas time? I hope you're not afraid of turkeys or gifts. Or maybe we should have a new one, the fear of yam. I don't know. But, but I imagine the big fear that we all can potentially have is the fear of what you are hoping for will not happen. The fear of what you're hoping for will not happen. And as we move from 2023 into 2024, I'm sure you've got hopes and aspirations for this coming year. Maybe your plan is to graduate. Maybe your plan is to get married. Maybe there's a new school, a new opportunity, work. Uh, maybe there, there, there are different things. You have plans and you have hopes for this coming year. And maybe your fears are those not happening. Or maybe there are other fears in, in your life. Maybe your fears are that nothing's ever going to change. You're stuck on this island and you cannot see a way of escape. You can't bear the thought of going back to the situation you were in and there's just no opportunity opening up for you elsewhere. And you're just stuck in Cyprus. What are your fears? Some of you, I know that the plans that you've had have, have already been frustrated. What you thought was going to happen hasn't come to fruition and isn't going to happen or it's not going to happen in, in the way that you think. Friends, don't be sold short this Christmas time thinking that Jesus' coming was just to sort those things out. Yeah? This is the headline. Those things are important and real to you now, yes? But they're not why Jesus came at Christmas. Jesus came at Christmas to sort out something much greater. The hope that Jesus gives us is far greater than the PhD, far greater than the husband or wife, far greater than that wage packet with lots of noughts at the end of it, far greater than being the business mogul or whatever it is you hope for. The hope that Jesus gives is far greater because in the final analysis, our deepest fear is our eternal need to be right with God. 
And maybe today you're trying to substitute that need of being right with God with other stuff. And even if you had that other stuff given to you, you would not be happy. Because the void in your life can only be filled by Jesus. We were made for eternity. We were made for eternity with God, our Heavenly Father. And we messed it up by sinning and falling short of God's glory. And that sin separates us. And our greatest need is to be made right with God. And Jesus came into this world to save his people from their sins so that you and I can be right with God. And so the question is, are you right with God? Because if you're not right with God, that should be your greatest fear. And you can be right with God because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And his people is anyone here who's called upon his name. You ask him to forgive you for your sins. You trust in Jesus' atoning blood on the cross. And you'll be saved. And you'll be made right with him. And your hopes and your fears, the eternal ones that matter, are met now. And when you seek first the kingdom of God and those things are met, then everything else will sort itself out in God's time and in God's way and to God's glory. Amen.